This is Point of View, a podcast exploring today's digital landscape through a critical lens. Each episode, Gil Rosen, our Chief Marketing Officer at Amdocs, will interview leading authors, entrepreneurs, and experts to help listeners view the online world from a different vantage point and demystify some of your most burning questions. We're discussing everything from fast fashion to the psychology of the internet, underscoring it all with a forward-thinking perspective. Are you ready for the future? Let's get digital. Innovation has become a major buzzword in the business world today. But what about words like creativity, storytelling, and exploration? Some say creative thinking is the foundation of strength in problem-solving skills and the backbone of a successful business strategy. And yet, it can often be overlooked by business leaders. Today's guest is Frederick Heron, an author, keynote speaker, and expert on creativity and business. Frederick has penned over 10 books on innovation, creativity, and change and he's been invited to speak at over 2,000 conferences on the subject. Gil and Frederick sat down to discuss creative exploration, the importance of storytelling, and the art of rhetoric. Here's their discussion. With us, we have Frederick Heron. And the first question I wanted to ask you was about this term that you coined, uh, creativity exploration. Actually, I'm not going to take credit for it. I didn't uh, coin the term. My, at that time, eight-year-old son, Lucas, coined the term. And he was supposed to do a presentation in school. And the topic was, what does your parents do for a living? And he was supposed to say, my father is a creativity expert. And we practiced it. And I taught him how to you know, look the people in the eye and stand up straight and all of this. And then he came there. And of course, you know, as an eight-year-old, he kind of screwed it up a little bit. So instead of saying, my father is a creativity expert, he said, my father is a creativity explorer. And my wow. wife was there to hear it. And she said, wait, this is much better. So for the last 20 years, I was a creativity expert. But for the last two years, I've been a creativity explorer. And I love it so much more. Because the definition of explore is to venture into unknown territory in order to learn more about it. And I think that encourages creativity, curiosity, and, and humbleness, I think. So, uh, yeah. So since then, that's what I do. I explore human creativity. The things that you talk about actually go to the level of taking creativity as actually the foundation of what we usually talk about, which is innovation, right? And mm. instead of focusing on innovation, you say we need to focus on creativity. Can you yeah. talk about what you mean and how one leads to the other and what are the important things that you saw? Yes. So to me, it's a bit tricky with the word innovation because many people have many different definitions. If you ask a group of 100 people what they mean by the word innovation, you get a lot of different answers. But to me, innovation is the process of making ideas happen. For example, uh, I'm going to paint Mona Lisa. That's an idea. But painting Mona Lisa is the innovation. It's the process of making ideas happen. Now, creativity is the whole process from uh, the curiosity phase where we're just looking and uh, getting inspiration and learning new things to having a problem that we want to solve and then thinking about the problem like Archimedes thinking about it. all, And then suddenly the aha moment, having the idea and then testing it out. And then it, that's when we start to innovate and then launching the idea and evaluating it and starting over again. So the creativity is the whole process. And I'm fascinated by the whole process, every single aspect of it. 
all industries, all countries, all, le- all levels of creativity, artistic creativity, engineering creativity, all kinds of it. There's many, 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 many facets of human creativity. And when you talk about process, because that's actually, you know, I've worked for very large corporations and, and we talked about that uh, in, in the past before. And yes. innovation seems to be like something people talk about and try to create, I would say, artificially sometimes. Do you think it's actually something, creativity slash innovation, that can actually be taught? Or it's like you're a football player because you have some certain DNA or some upbringing, but it's not something that can be taught? Well, actually, I guess that's a good, that's a good analogy, isn't it? Because some people are born with... Um, perfect ball control. I mean, they have almost like perfect pitch, but if they just touch the ball and they can somehow control it, but everyone can become better at playing soccer. My father was actually a music teacher and it's even better to use music as an example because some people are actually bought with musical skill. Like they have, like my brother, he has perfect pitch. So he was born with perfect pitch. I'm not born with perfect pitch. So uh, yeah, my, my brother inherited my father. I inherited my mother. So my brother, of course, is much easier for him to play an instrument. And I actually stopped playing an instrument when he, w- he was playing the piano, I played the bass, but he was better at the bass than I was, even though that wasn't his main instrument. He's just naturally, he can hear a song once and play it. So yes, he's born with perfect pitch and a sense of musicality, but everyone can learn to play an instrument. And my father said this because he was a, music, he was a musician and a music teacher. He said, you can teach anyone to play an instrument. But the only way to make them a musician is through inspiration. Like Michael Jackson would listen to Frank, Frank Sinatra and, and all these greats that lived before. He would look at what everyone, and he was being inspired by that. He would take different ideas from them and he became Michael Jackson. But if you just focus on teaching music, hold your fingers like this, that doesn't make you a musician. It's the same with creativity. You can teach a lot of creativity techniques, but the true way to make someone creative is to make sure that they are inspired by looking at what other people are doing. Or, or if you interview any creative person, what triggers their creativity is being inspired by other creative people. So inspiration is very important. I think that's very important when we talk about creativity in companies. So you, you, yes, you should teach creativity. Yes, it can be taught. But more importantly, it should be inspired. That actually brings me to the second thing I was thinking about, which is the inspirational figure. And if we go back to, the, uh, to, to an organization, and uh, many organizations try different, uh, let's call it innovation programs, and they, you know, they try to shake up who they are. Yeah. But isn't it really that manager, that executive that actually pulls the company after them or, or, or doesn't even do something intentionally as now we're in a program of innovation, but actually just does things and provides an atmosphere of you can follow me or do your thing because I'm doing my thing. That means that you can do your thing. Isn't that exactly. the essence? I totally agree. I mean, if you, if you used to work for Steve Jobs, would you think that you would be inspired, that you, should, you would be allowed to be creative? If you work for Elon Musk now, do you think you are in, allowed to be creative? Of course you do. So it's, it's, it's the same thing. And I always say this if I talk to leaders, that you can have innovation programs, you can teach innovation, you can bring in speakers like me, you can do whatever, you can all, great to do all those things. But more importantly, is that you do creative things and that you make sure that these stories are being told around the organization, that they get spread. My, one of my favorite, you know, I'm from Sweden, so we have IKEA or IKEA as everyone likes to say, but it's actually IKEA. IKEA, okay, uh, I'll remember IKEA. That. 
Yes, exactly. I taught you something. <laughs> and he, the founder, Ingvar Kamprad, he was such a great innovator when it comes to questioning tiny things, every little detail of the business. Why can't we do it this way? Why are we doing things like this constantly? And that, that spread through the DNA. But IKEA was also very good at picking up those stories and telling these stories over and over again. They were not made up stories. They were real stories, but they kept telling them over and over again. And that became like the folklore of IKEA. This is how, we, this is how Ingvar thinks. This is how we should think. So collect those stories and spread those stories by far the most important and not only from the manager also from any uh, any kind of story of a, someone who does something creative spread those stories because it inspires other people. So you know storytelling is something I uh, I like to talk about and we talked about before and yes. how storytelling can actually uh, impact if any topic actually succeeds because uh, it doesn't matter that the let's call it the thing itself is good or not good is being yeah. able to carry the the message you know we talked about what we uh, coined together so we didn't have a, a third party like your son uh, to, uh, we, we we called it corporate telling how do you tell a story yeah. within a corporate can you talk about maybe the fundamentals of storytelling that you found to be like pivotal or important uh, uh, and how do you make sure that people actually take storytelling seriously? Is it like the CEO has to be in it or is there like a, is it like a bottom up, top down? How do you see it? Actually, I mean, maybe I can answer the question like this. So after we, we had this interesting conversation, I interviewed uh, the creative director at Lego. And we had this very interesting discussion about what Lego really is. And he said, Lego is actually not about building things. It's about creating stories. You take six pieces together, you build it together and you create this little duck or a spaceship or whatever you create. And because you have created that in your head, you start building a story around what this duck can do or, or what the spaceships are all about. So you're actually creating stories. And then I became fascinated between the connection between story and creativity. And it, I looked it up. I'm a huge fan of etymology, like the meanings of words. So the, the word story comes from the word history. It's not the other way around. You might think that history comes from story, but story comes from history. And history literally means to see, to see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think about that, what is imagination? So the purest form of creativity is imagination. So what is imagination? Imagination literally also means to see. It's an image in your head. So story then becomes like, uh, I almost envisioned it as a movie. So imagination is a, a picture in your head, but a story is multiple pictures in your head. So like a movie is 24 pictures per second, right? So if you have a story, you're constantly providing new images into your head. And that, so if imagination is one story in your head, imagine what a story can trigger when it comes to creativity in people. And that's why stories are so powerful because they trigger ideas, they trigger inspiration, they trigger, they trigger stories inside, inside of yourself. So the power of, of the stories, it's always been important, but I think it's, the connection between stories and creativity, I think is fascinating. By the way, you know, you talk about history and, and, and I started thinking actually humanity since the beginning has, has lived around, you know, the bonfire and stories. And some of these stories from thousands and thousands of years ago are, are still even the backbone of society, if you think what religion is about and, and many things that relate to history and, and, and it's so embedded in who we are. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking, fast forward, however many thousands of years later, we have the super advanced society with corporations who build technology. And 
why isn't it the most obvious thing and most proliferated idea notion that storytelling is so important and why do we even have to argue for it where in everything else that we do and everything else that shaped our society stories were like the backbone but all of a sudden you come to some super i don't know and i'm i'm not talking about my own corporation i'm talking about any generic b2b uh, corporation and you have to convince people that storytelling is important and where are, what about your story and i'm not talking about maybe outliers who have like uh you know the steve jobs and and the uh elon musks that you know this is who the, who they are how do you think we got to a stage where where this kind of continuation of storytelling broke when it came to doing business yeah that's that is a very good question because if you if you look at the people that uh <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say are innovative, and maybe you can even say it's successful. We might very much argue that it's not necessarily the best ideas that win. It's the best stories told around the best ideas that win. So the, the, the classic Steve Jobs, one more thing. That's an epic storytelling technique. Yeah. The way he presented the new products in the storytelling techniques that he used. Or we can, you know, Elon Musk, <laughs> even, the, even, even throwing a hammer into the window of a truck and it's, it's breaking in itself. It's fascinating storytelling. If you think about it, it, it went very viral. So I'm, I would totally agree with you. I don't talk so much about story. I talk more about rhetoric. And I think this could be a trick to get it to people to think it's more important. Okay. Because story, the word story, it's maybe easily connected to like we read stories to our children or stories are made up. So mm -hmm. it, we should technically have two words for story. One that means story story, which is made up story or real story, which means telling about something that actually happened. And I think that's my deal. So I talk about rhetoric. Rhetoric is, is basically the art of getting people on your side by telling a story in a way that gets them convinced. So it's more, more corporate speak, so to speak, mm -hmm. but it also focuses more on the, on the power of stories. So to learn rhetorical techniques, to present the story in a way that kept people not only to enjoy the story, but also to agree with what the message of the story is, to get them on your side. It's not the one who tells the best story who wins. It's the one who tells the story that people actually want to believe in and, and follow that wins. And that's where rhetoric comes in. Yeah, I think that nuance is actually super important. And this is what I try to do is kind of create a mental picture in somebody's head on, on, on what I want them to imagine. And rhetoric is actually the way of building that image in the best way. So that's a, yeah. so that, that's a really good clarification. And on the storytelling in a corporation, I wonder, you know, the storytelling of a CEO or the executives in the corporation, did you see now the pandemic? Because actually the only way to communicate is via video, not through personal meetings, is that actually storytelling has gotten broader and bigger and more embedded in, in our business than before? Have you noticed that? You know what? Yes, I have. And we have done quite a lot of interviews directly with leaders through Zoom. And they have many of them have explained that suddenly they're doing weekly town halls, for example, and they used to do monthly town hall or once a quarter town hall. Now they're doing weekly, mainly from a mental wellness perspective because people are concerned about they want they don't want they're stressed they don't know what's happening so they want to be informed more on a more regular basis that was it was it was driven not from a communication perspective not from a storytelling perspective from a mental well-being perspective but i think it's very it's a very good reason to do it on top of that I mean, as a bonus effect they started communicating you got more storytelling going 
But actually, to me, the, I've been studying companies for 25 years and I'm speaking at conferences. And I think the most interesting one is actually not COVID, but sustainability that came in about one year before COVID. Mm. And suddenly the leadership came up and said, you know what? Sustainability is not just something we're going to talk about as something nice to have. We really have to change the way we run our business. And we need to get our people to understand that and put their company into a much, like put the story about their company in a much bigger, con like if, this, if the company is a character, the story became much bigger that they put this ca the character into it. And it's fascinating to see how the rhetoric changed when company leaders didn't only talk about us, our company versus our competition, but talked about us, our company in the role that we play in the global development goals or in, in a global perspective with all the stakeholders, it, the rhetoric totally changed and people get much more excited about it because suddenly we were playing a small role in a bigger, in a bigger play. So that to me is the most fascinating change in storytelling when it comes to corporates. And I, I highly, I think it's a great thing. And it's specifically for sustainability. And you, yeah. and you think that COVID really kind of amplified it because it's a uh, world health and it's connected to our well-being that sustainability all of a sudden made sense. Is that what you mean? No, sustainability came before. It came one year before COVID. So this the, the trend of putting the company in a bigger picture came before. Then COVID came and COVID became more about well-being and taking care of each other and so on. And I'm fascinated what's going to happen next. When we're out of COVID, we take the global uh, sustainability goals and companies playing a role in that and combine that with the well-being, caring mentality that COVID kind of put in. I think we put those two together. It's going to be fascinating to see the stories the companies start uh, telling in, in a year or so. I'm, I think it'll be very, very positive and very, very uh, likable stories, actually. That's super interesting. Now, actually, talking about post-COVID, uh, but I want to take you, before we go post-COVID, I want to take you back to my experience and also hear about how you handled it, because here we are talking through uh, video, and we're sort of confined to this square that, you know, dictates what we see and, you know, how we behave. And if I had to imagine uh, you being invited to a conference, let's say on a, on a I don't know, Thursday noon or Wednesday noon, then you would fly out like two days before uh, you would be at the place. You would, you know, you would get your stuff together at the hotel. You would fix your PowerPoint. You would do some other meetings. You go to lunch, you go to dinner, you come back, then you do the conference, then you wrap up, you meet people. And like that, your week disappears. And that same conference and that same week is now starting exactly on the hour when the Zoom starts and finishes exactly when the Zoom ends one hour later. And all of a sudden, your entire week is free. So <laughs> theoretically, we got back all these amazing hours that we spent traveling, but you don't see the world, you don't interact with people, and there is no energy that, you know, you feel when there's a crowd and you ask a question. And, I, you know, I've seen you perform, you perform. And you listen to the crowd and you, you, you throw jokes. And I, I imagine that not everything is, like, scripted. And now you're in this box, right? So first I wanted to ask you how it makes you feel. Second, I wanted to ask you if you now think that we actually needed to 
to acquire this new skill of performance. How do you see this being played out before and after? Yeah, a lot, lot of interesting questions there. First of all, I was not a big fan of, of video, uh, like virtual speaking. I did not believe in it. I, I, I will readily admit I did not believe in it. I said it's not the same thing. But of course, one year ago, I had to build a home studio. I should have done it earlier, but uh, <laughs> there, was not re- there wasn't really a market for it earlier. And suddenly everything went virtual. I have my home studio in, in a r- separate room in my house. What I quickly realized that doing a virtual speech is actually not very different than doing a big speech. We're talking 500, 5,000, 10,000 people in an audience. Because when you're 5,000 people in, a, in an audience, you actually don't interact with them so much because you're, they're too far away. You don't really see them. And they actually, most of them actually look on you on the big screen behind. So they actually are attending a virtual speech. We hmm. just happen to sit in the same room. Hmm. So, so when I do, do a virtual speech, I do 50% thinking I'm speaking for 10,000 people. And 50% I'm thinking I'm speaking to one person because it, this is so intimate. And if you're able to keep those two things in your head at the same time, it creates actually a very, very intimate feeling and still an experience. So I think it works brilliantly. So that was the actual time on the stage. But as you said, all the time around it has totally changed. For me, you could have said that before COVID, I was a professional traveler. I would spend Hmm. 90% of my time traveling and 10% of my time speaking or less than that. But I did that because I like what I said about creativity is inspiration. So the whole idea of going to France and then Bangladesh and then Sri Lanka and then China to get or to see what the world looks like. I think if you're going to be a speaker, you need to have this feeling that I understand what happens in the whole world. And you get to see all this different, like there's a, take a taxi in India versus taking one in China and different hotels, different industries. And yes, I, you lose all of that it became crucial for me to connect and do video interviews with people all around the world. And I've mm. never interviewed more people during this, this year. But the, the plus, of course, is it's much easier. Like yeah, I interviewed, for example, I don't know, head of design at car, uh, Ford Motor Company, or you for, for that matter. Like it would be almost, it would be such a hassle to get that meeting actually confirmed with both of us being in Detroit at the same time and make sure that, you know, check into the reception. It would take a whole day to make that one hour interview. Now I can do five of them in a day if I want to. But it's crucial to do those and not think I can just sit at home and then go online and do a speech once a week without having left my home and become this isolated person in Singapore and just sit and and think I understand the world or play with my kids. That doesn't work. So it's never been more important to have a global mindset in a time where we cannot travel. So what do you think will be the, just your guess on the proportion of when we go back, how many Real conferences will you go to versus being invited to these virtual conferences? I think we will have much more conferences. Humans love to meet. Mm-hmm. I don't think the question is how many percent of the conferences we used to have will now be virtual. I think the answer is how many more conferences will we have in the future? Because suddenly you can create, I mean, that's what Clubhouse has shown us. We can have, me- we can have meetings about virtually everything and people can just sign up and go sign up with 100 people or 12 people or whatever and do it on audio without any organization whatsoever. That, those my meetings are not, uh, would not have happened otherwise. So we will have more meetings than ever. I'm absolutely convinced. And the big meeting, the big, the big global meetings that we used to have, many of them will still be around because that's where people meet from all over the world uh, to connect. And it's, 
it's part of the reward to get to meet everyone and connect that. So I'm not too worried about that. I think the big speaking conference industry will come back. That's actually a, an interesting insight that I've never been able to replace, for instance, going to Mobile World Congress or CES and walking through the aisles. And it's not even by talking to anybody, but just seeing yeah. the themes and how they connect and seeing the vibe. I've never been able to port that to the digital domain and have the same understanding. Do you feel that also? I totally feel, I totally, I also think it will be the last industry to come back. <laughs> they, I just read a pl plan today on how they're going to plan to open London and concerts and conferences were the last thing to be allowed to be open. So it might take us a while, but of course, will we do conferences and conferences? That's what, that's what it means to be human. But that doesn't mean I'm not a big fan of virtual. Like what we're doing now, this is a conversation that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So way more human conversations one-on-ones or one-to-many or many-to-many. -many. And I can't wait to see what technology is going to be developed to make sure we can have even more interesting meetings between humans virtually. I think we're just scratching on the surface for what this could be. Yeah, actually, on the, on the point of creativity and the timing, I think if you think about the video products that were available as the pandemic broke, yeah. they were not suited. If, even if you think about the big video platforms that are being used for meetings, they're pretty basic. So I like to say that one good thing with COVID, at least it had good timing. Because imagine if it would have happened five years ago, but we didn't have an, the technology just wasn't there for the whole world to meet virtually. That would have made life terrible and much more inefficient. At least it came when we were just ready for it, but it has suddenly created this huge market for these products. And now, of course, like anywhere else, when there's a market for something, people start innovating and invest money in it. And I can't wait to see what it's going to look like 10 years from now. It's going to be going to have some fascinating technologies for meeting virtually. And we will laugh at how we did it in 2020. So I think that's actually a really good setup for what I call the exponential question. Yes. And the exponential question is how I like to kind of maybe take us and port us to the future uh, by taking the extreme of whatever topic and seeing how it will play out, right? So if you talk about, you know, your domain of creativity, uh, you talk about rhetoric and, and, and innovation and leadership. If you take how technology is evolving, AI, machine learning, uh, decision-making, the creation and creation by machines and not by humans or the combination thereof, if you take that to the extreme, where do you think that will go as far as the mashup between machine and machines and humans and how that will affect creativity, leadership and decision making? Yeah. yeah, it's a great question. I haven't spoken so much about it, but I would love to answer this question. Because I study creativity over and over and over again, I hear people saying, oh, now that AI comes, now that machine learning comes, we should focus on the one thing that computers cannot do, which is to be creative. And I don't believe in this. I think it's that is the absolute wrong approach to it. Because my definition of creativity is that you take two things and you combine them. You take a phone and a computer, you combine it, you have an iPhone, right? You, you take a, a camera and a, a computer and a car, you have a self-driving car. So every or, idea or an idea and a book and you create an idea book. That's what I did. <laughs> or you have gla glass and eyes, you have glasses, right? Any idea is a combination of of previously existing things. If we agree that this is true, 
Now what the computer can do is you can take, you can put in a billion ideas into a computer with artificial intelligence and it can combine a billion, trillion different combinations. And with machine learning and artificial, artificial intelligence, it can also evaluate which of these combinations will actually work out the best. Uh, there's a fascinating example right now with the latest, it came out a couple of weeks ago, the latest machine learning, the open AI, where they put into a, to an AI, create a chair inspired by an avocado and out comes hundreds of chairs looking like avocados, 3D models of what it could look like. And they, there's no way you can tell it's done by a computer. This is the, and then it can also pick which one that would actually most likely people would like based on if you run through what people kind of shares people buy. So I call this creativity to the power of computers. We shouldn't say AI uh, can't do everything. We should focus on creativity because computers cannot be creative. We should say computers can be infinitely more creative than we can be. Therefore, we should create AI that tries to create this. There's a beautiful example of a, of a, where they create a concert hall by putting in all the algorithms for how you create the perfect sound in a concert hall, send it into the computer, and out came this concert hall that looks like an inside of the stomach of a whale. No human wow. would ever think of creating a concert hall looking like this. But interestingly enough, it's absolutely stunning. But more importantly, the sound is perfect. Because this computer tried one trillion or whatever, one billion different ways of trying out the sound without sleeping, without, you know, in, in a couple of days, and out comes this perfect concert hall based on the algorithms of sound. These are the kind of questions you should be thinking. And when you think like that, the more the big question then becomes, we shouldn't even create the problems for the AI. We should create AI that start asking interesting questions and then goes out and solves, solves them for us and say, this is a question you should have asked. I really like the, the optimistic and proactive and assistive approach on technology and not looking at it in a doomsday kind of manner and saying, oh, it's going to take over or it's going to replace. It's it's. It's going to do things that we don't haven't been able to even imagine, like the the whale architecture, and it's going to make our lives better. And it's just about the the balance of you know. Uh, I think uh, we will change in, in in ways that I think we can't even imagine right now. You know what we will do while they create or design the next building. We will need to think of something else to do. You know, people say that there's no jobs left. If you travel a little bit more than most people do, when you go out and look what the world looks like right now, you realize that there is infinite number of problems for us to solve. And when we've solved those, then we can, then we can start wondering what jobs we are left for us. But at the moment, there's so many problems left to solve. So let's solve them and let's use all the technology we can find to do that. So I think actually that's a, an amazing way to wrap up. So I want to thank you for your time and uh, creativity and ideas. And I really enjoyed our conversation and see you soon in person, maybe even. Uh, yeah, or virtually. Or virtually. I for everything. Yeah, great. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Good talking to you, Frederick. You too. All of humanity's greatest contributions began with the ability to think creatively. Frederick shared his perspective on why he believes creativity has provided a solid foundation for all of the greatest inventions in history and how we can all leverage our internal resources to reach our fullest potential. When it comes to AI, we should be infusing technology with the essential abilities to think creatively, ask the right questions, and uncover solutions to the world's problems. 
As Frederick mentioned, the world is full of an infinite number of problems that need solving. And until we've solved every last one, it's up to us to use the technology we have available to find creative solutions. Frederick, thank you for taking the time to share your point of view. Thanks for listening to Point of View, a podcast by Amdocs. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe, and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode. We'll see you next time.